House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, welcome back into the House of Mystery. We are at the interview part of the show. Um, joining us today, we have um, an author, and uh, he's just got a f fantastic background. So um, I I'm just wanting to talk to him a lot. So uh, welcome, Jeff Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Jeff, um, you've got all this stuff going on now. Uh, your website, uh, Forensics for Fiction and all that stuff. Uh, where did you start with this whole um, writing books and and forensics and all this stuff where where did that start for you um, I am a, uh, f a federal uh, forensic investigator and have been for 20 some odd years and uh, I then <laughs> I then uh, started living with a writer and uh, he would ask me all of those uh, important questions of what's the best way that I could kill somebody in this scene? Or <laughs> how would you dispose of this body? And uh, Great he, uh, through him, I sort of was introduced into the writing community. And it was very shortly after that that I started uh, receiving invitations to speak at different conferences or different courses or whatnot. And uh, as I would teach, uh, I would have many a writer come up to me and say, you know, I would love it if I could just have what you're saying on my desk as a reference so I could flip back to it. And I got enough people saying that that it actually didn't seem that far-fetched anymore. And so I started doing a little bit of research of what's out there on sort of accessible forensic topics for uh, somebody who wanted to do a little bit of research. And there are there are some good there are good, there are some there's some good material out there, but a lot of the material falls in one of two camps, I found. They're either way, way, way overly technical. They are the the technical manuals that the actual forensic person who's out in the field is studying, right? Or they're complete fluff that somebody who's never even, you know, spelled forensics besides looking up what TV show is on next yeah. um, decided that they read an article once and now they're going to write a book. And... You know, there's still there's still good information out there, but but I found a lot of those just didn't have any depth or just was really veering sort of in the wrong direction of how things actually were. And so I decided, what if I aimed for the middle ground? What if I created a series uh, specifically directed at the author or somebody who wanted to do research that wasn't overly technical, but still was accessible, that gave them the correct information, but was manageable in a research type of, uh, of study so that they didn't have to go out and do these things themselves, but they could speak knowledgeably about it, use the jargon that we use out in the field and know what the actual techniques are. And so that's where Forensics for Fiction, that series was, was uh, born, I guess. And, uh, and my idea was every, every book would focus on a specific forensic topic. Right. I, I find that interesting because um, now is it mainly fiction authors that come to you or do true crime authors as well? I've had some true crime authors come to me. Um, my husband writes fiction, and so my introduction into the world of authors is primarily 
fiction. But but I get all sorts of people coming and asking questions. I get romance writers coming and asking me questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> giving dating advice. That's <laughs> exactly. Well, that's crazy. No, because I, I I've thought about that because I, I've been all true crime. So it's it's interesting because um, it, it it's something that could probably help me understand some of the aspects of what I'm writing about rather than just kind of guessing or winging it. You know. Sure. Um, fiction always uh, that totally uh, impresses me because I, where do they where do these writers come up with the complete theme and people and characters and some of them do it so well right like they that they've got really well developed characters and they create a whole story um, I find that amazing. I'm right there with you. I'm so impressed with people who have that skill, that talent, and who have uh, developed that muscle where the story is just right there for you. That's, it's, it's an amazing talent. Do you think there's a reason why um, true crime's been so popular, especially in the last, you know, five, ten years or so? It's just, it keeps, it's booming, you know? I think, I think crime sort of has always been uh, of interest. It's, it is a step into where most people are unfamiliar, yet it can add excitement or titillation or, hey, I got to say titillation or, um, <laughs> you know, just some sort of um, access to a type of entertainment that that isn't the norm. Right. Yeah. And I think that we always see some sort of crime. If you go all the way back to Perry Mason on TV or the Agatha Christie books back then. Right. Yeah. But I really think crime became front and center with the sort of the explosion of the um, cable networks. And that was specifically seen by two cases, two true crime cases, and that would be O.J. Simpson and JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah. Because O.J. Simpson was considered the crime of the century, and from O.J. Simpson we got court TV, right? Yep. And uh, you suddenly had this entire audience of people, this nation, which became an audience of people, that were sitting there watching a court case. Do you know how dull a court case can be? Yeah. And we had these people <laughs> tuning in for hours on end watching uh, our judicial system happen. And I think that sort of planted seeds that we are now seeing the fruits of, right? Um, and a year after the the trial of the century, which is O.J. Simpson, almost a year after we had John Benny Ramsey. And that was another um, – it's interesting, John Benny Ramsey, because I, I'm, I need to speak for uh, the United States because I've done some teaching overseas, and th- it surprised me they weren't as familiar with the John Benny ca- case as we are here. But at least in the United States, Americans were just – overly fascinated with this with this case and i think from that we get this um desire for uh, a, a true a true crime fix Is, you see what i'm saying yeah 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 certainly certainly what what do you think people get wrong most oh <laughs> oh we don't yeah we only have an hour so I guess. Is this, this is just an hour okay um so I, I have some pet peeves, but I have one pet peeve in particular, and you see it a lot in in fiction. Um, true crime, I, I would hope they would uh, get a, a little bit more correct, but m- probably my biggest pet peeve when I am when I am reading a case or watching something on TV or as a movie is when somebody will do a 
time of death estimate. (laughs) Oftentimes, I mean, if you're lucky, it'll be the coroner or medical examiner. If you're not so lucky, it'll just be a random doctor. But most of the times, it's just the it's just whatever cop or law enforcement is on the scene, and they'll come in and they'll be like, "Yeah, this person died between one and one twelve a.m." That just never, ever, ever happens. You are never that specific. You are lucky. You are lucky if you can have that window, which, by the way, is a guess, but that time window be in hours. I mean, you're stretching it most times if you're within an eight-hour window, and you're probably better off if you say this person probably died in these several days. But for somebody to say that they died within a 12-minute window is yeah, I, it, it's hard for me to continue with that story. Well, that's a problem with all of entertainment, <laughs> true crime entertainment or, or crime entertainment. If you watch something like CSI, you know, don't get me wrong, it's probably an entertaining show in a lot of ways. But on that show, they seem to be able to find your DNA if you just thought about going into a room, you know, Absolutely. They, and they get the results in an hour and, you know. Well, don't you know? I mean, surely you've watched Bones, so surely you know every forensic investigator out there has holograms that we can just flip <laughs> yeah, around yeah, and, yeah, and access to every database in the world, and it, I can walk on any crime scene I want to walk on. You know, all that's real yeah. legit. No, yeah. <laughs> probably the most legit thing I see on TV is that we are all gorgeous people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I knew it. I knew there was something good. Oh. Um, it's so, um, well, that's another thing, you know, um, how about testifying in court cases? So yep. someone, someone that has expertise such as yourself and, and, uh, you see certain people that have come forward and now they become regular, um, consultants on TV shows and series and documentaries and I'm sure in all the court cases and it's the same people over and over and they become idolized, but is that really kind of a good thing? Oh, that's, oh I know. You don't want to talk about be- people in particular, but I'm just saying that. Um, I'll tell you why. I'll, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But no. uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I say it depends. Um, it depends on why they are testifying. Because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have some quote-unquote experts for hire out there, right? And so they are there just because the money is good. But if they are sticking with the science and if they are explaining why their expert opinion is valid in that particular situation, even if it's something that goes against what um, the direction you think the case should be going in, um, that's valid. And, And if they're using television appearances to build their resume so that they have access to that group of experts. I don't fault that, but that's not always the norm. Uh, a lot of people who are who are doing the the TV appearances are doing it because um, they are hired to give a certain point of view, not an expert point of view. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm sort of getting at. It seems to be um, that most of these, especially cases that become really popular, but it, it, you know where each side has their expert witnesses, and how each side can have an expert that has a complete different uh, take on what happened, and they're both supposed to be scientific. Right. Um, now, 
the fun part of forensics is you do it's based in science which is what i love but where differences can legitimately occur is in the interpretation of the science to the scene okay if if you see what i'm saying and so i can do a blood spatter analysis and another person could do blood spatter analysis and we can come up with the same results and then i can say well a possible scenario where these results fit is this scenario and somebody else can come up and say, well, I have another scenario where the this result fits. And so it is possible to have different uh, opinions, but that's where we need to be careful in this country, which the, the, the um, skill that we've lost is the skill of discussion and the, the skill of, of being able to be open to a, a different interpretation. When you're talking about the science, that's that's where I'll make a stand because the science is often sound, and most times that science shows what had to have happened. But I'm just I'm just saying there there can be a possibility where more than one action could have produced the same result. Am I making sense? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just I I just bring it up because it seems like every court case that's out there. Um, you know, you hear things on the media, and of course, it's it's sound bites, and and you know, I mean, we're in it. So, but I think that what happens is you so you hear something, and you think this is kind of what the evidence is, and then all of a sudden, the court, you know, which is on TV and it gets talked about every day, they have the you know the defense has a expert that has a totally different you know uh, reasoning, exactly. and and it just sort of always well, how can that be so different? And, uh, yeah, it's all an interpretation, I guess. Well, and, and isn't and that also, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, I was just going to ask you, isn't that sort of a leftover in some ways from that whole OJ era where all these people became talking heads during that who were on the nightly news and they bring on somebody for this side, and you know, somebody for the defense, somebody for the prosecution to argue that, and then we sort of became used to that and invested in that and all those talking heads then went out and did the same thing with other cases and now we sort of have this idea that everything is an adversarial discussion when in many ways you know the facts should get people to agree exactly but that same case that oj simpson case did a lot for this country's perspectives attitudes and really how um, law enforcement acts and how the judicial system reacts and what I mean by that is, do you know that in the O.J. Simpson trial that the defense never said that O.J. didn't do it? Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they, their goal was not to give him an alibi. Their goal was not to, quote-unquote, prove his innocence. Their goal was simply, and they did it expertly, was simply to put a question mark over every piece of evidence because in this country in the judicial system if you have a a felony crime and it's a criminal court case our uh, burden of proof that we the the threshold we have to meet with the evidence we present is called beyond a reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. and if they can introduce a reasonable doubt then you can't consider that evidence. And if they can put a question mark over every single piece of evidence, 
then suddenly you don't have anything to consider. And if you don't have anything to consider, you can only come back with one ruling. And let's be specific here. Not guilty does not mean innocent. It means we could not prove guilt. Hmm. Um, so what, I don't what, know where I, where I got off on that tangent, but there no, you go. Well, you, you go. You just, <laughs> no, I was just wondering about, so what's your opinion on trial by media then? You know, the whole idea of everything being te- televised, when we talk about the O.J. Simpson case and the things they did to Marsha Clark and the things they did to Judge Edo, not, right or wrong, but uh, right through to Jody Arias and, and again, Martinez and Nermi, um, I just wonder how can they perform their jobs adequately when every day is a media circus and they're talking about you on TV and they're making fun of you on Saturday Night Live and they're, you know, did did you change your hair? Did you uh, put on weight? Why is he wearing that tie? How can you actually perform properly when you've got the whole country watching? Yeah, it's it's. I have very strong opinions about this, and um, I don't want to say I'm right. P.S. I am. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to come across that way. But uh, I, my entire career has been in law enforcement, and so I have a very strict opinion on on the scenarios you're bringing up. Being that I don't think the public should know anything about anything until it's said and done, because. All that can do is hurt my investigation if the investigation is still going on. Mm-hmm. And all it can do during a court case is have – and we, boy, do we see it in the present day – is have these armchair behind a cube, uh, computer screen expert that they self-dub themselves as the expert on this. And then suddenly it's, it's their opinion and this is how it goes. And it gets really difficult to – to have a case of innocent until proven guilty if the entire country has decided on guilt. Our entire judicial system is set up on this person is not guilty unless you prove it. And it's not proven until the verdict comes in. And so basically all we're doing by televising all this is giving the public an entertainment fix. And some people may argue that the entertain, entertaining the public is an important and valid way to go. And I would say, in my opinion, we don't need that because I don't need to know what Joe Smith from Alabama opinion is on my case. I need to worry about getting the best evidence I can and helping the prosecutor present their best case. Um, to see what a jury thinks about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the jury is made up of you know, Joe Smith from Alabama, but unless he's there in the courtroom, all this talk on social media and and the news reports and the Nancy Graces and all this other stuff, just don't, don't get all started do is, on Nancy Grace. I know. All it, can, all it can do is skew public opinion, and I just don't see the benefit of that, especially if you take it a step further. And we saw this in the John Benet Ramsey case. Um, you know, our DAs, our, our district attorneys, are elected officials, and uh, a sheriff is an elected official. And if you have the public being swayed by a public opinion because they have half a story, because yeah. they're watching whatever they're watching, 
that becomes a real thing to these people who are supposed to be whose interest is supposed to be justice but now suddenly their interest is oh i want to keep my job because they think that the case should go this way you see what i'm saying yeah yeah well and the internet has also taken it uh to a new level like when you were saying armchair detectives um we have so many people out there involved in all of these cases via social media but most of them have never left their neighborhood exactly (laughs) they haven't been to the crime scene they haven't met the people involved they haven't been through the court documents they're they're just not involved it's just whatever they can find on the internet and 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 but that seems to be a really valid point for them they believe that makes them know what they're talking about i'm an expert you know? I also realize I also realize I may be coming across as a little bit bitter, and I'm <laughs> certain that Joe Smith in Alabama is a fantastic fella. <laughs> no, he's in Alabama, and all the hate mail goes to Michael Butterfield. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you about how does that all play into the resurgence of true crime interest? People playing detective—that's a big part of it too. Um, People want to be involved. They want to think that they're going to solve this case. So the the material that you provide, I, I'm, I'm a writer, and I've always depended on people to help me understand a lot of these issues because, you know, the whole issue of forensics has changed drastically in the last 20-something years. Um, it's not like in the 70s where it's just fingerprints and whatever. Um, but how much do you think uh, the public interest – Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, You know, it used to be a lot easier for a writer to to write out a crime story because the the parameters the it was much a smaller issue in that way. But once you start talking about DNA and forensic genealogy and so many of the other techniques that are being used, how, how do you keep up with that? And how do you keep how do you keep people informed on what they need to know about what's going on right now? Sort of a multi-layered question. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I may come of it from a couple different sides, if that's all right with you guys. Um, so I've got I've got so many things going on in my head. So let me let me break down the topics. I've got my job and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've got the court case and what we present, and I've got the writer themselves and what sort of responsibilities do they have, and so. I am what I do with writers, especially with my forensic for fiction, is I try to give them access so that they can have accuracy in their writing. And I want them to have accuracy and their audience and their readers demand accuracy. But there are times that I don't want it to go so far that it's so accurate that the the term I say to the authors is that your your book for entertainment becomes an instruction manual. Yes, right? yes. Um, <laughs> that we are actually teaching uh, criminals how to get away with stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and and I don't think that happens a lot, but I think there are certain things in which that could happen. For example, I have a I, I will never give a consult for anything that has to be specifics about building an explosive. I think that doesn't. Oh yeah. I think that you can put a bomb in a story and talk about the aftermath of a bomb in a story, and that's fine. But if you talk about your character going and buying ingredients or your character building a device, I think that crosses a line. And I think that is too accurate because at that point you are an instruction manual. Um, So 
as far as that's concerned, and you know, sometimes we have all, a lot of shows on how does an interrogation happen, how does an interview happen, and there are a lot of valid techniques that we use that are now out there in fiction, and that makes my job harder because it just makes our criminals smarter, right? right. And so there's that side of things. But I am also a proponent for accuracy in your writing, and I don't, I don't want you in your writing to be like, well, we had him handcuffed to a chair and a light over his head, and and we slapped yeah. him around, rubber hose. That is not accurate, and that is not what we do. So there is a line there, right? But in the realm of of the 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 courts, um, there are some people that believe in it, and there's some people that don't believe in it. I will only talk on my experience, and what I'm ta- what I'm specifically referring to is what some people call the CSI effect, and what they mm-hmm. what they mean when they say the CSI effect is that the TV shows like CSI and NCIS and Bones and name one of the 2006 forensic shows that are out there right now um, have sort of educated the normal person that we now have on our jury. And they sort of mislead these people into thinking that, if I use my example from earlier, um, that we all have, you know, holographic images that we can just pull up and turn around and and why didn't you get your dna the next dna results the next day like they do on tv and yeah and yeah. that sort of thing and there's an expectation now from a jury that if you don't provide that kind of evidence because let me tell you something sometimes the evidence is not there mm-hmm. if you don't provide that specific type of evidence uh they they use that in an assessment of credibility okay um, so, so it's a funny question you ask because I feel like accuracy should be involved in writing, and I feel like it enhances your writing. It 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 sort of establishes an audience for you. It um, it propels your story, and I think all these are really good things. And I feel like um, we in law enforcement shouldn't rest on our laurels, and and we should. Uh, try to stay one step ahead of that, but we shouldn't hinder that. But I also have this strong feeling that we should not be an instruction manual. So that's that's sort of where I'm falling on that. Hmm. So I wonder how I'm going to figure out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there are two there are two main things that I that I want to hit every time I go out and teach authors in in person, and the the second thing I always hit is coincidentally, accuracy. And one of the things I, I want to stress to the authors is accuracy is important and you should strive for it. But accuracy is not the end-all, be-all. Because novels are not set up for extreme accuracy. And the example I always give is if you want to be extremely accurate when you're writing a crime scene, then you are going to have to introduce so many different characters into your book that it's going to bog down your story and confuse your reader. But a shortcut that author, pretty much every author I know takes is they take all those people that each have an individual job on a crime scene and they make them into one person. And that one person just so happens to be your protagonist. That way your protagonist has all the information, can be everywhere, do everything, and all the information gets to the reader. Is that accurate? Absolutely not. Is it a perfectly fine shortcut in fiction? Absolutely. So – 
there's a balance there between accuracy and story and where are you going to fall on that because if you're worried about that one review you're going to get on Amazon with the person being like nah uh well the only per- <laughs> the only way not to get any of those is if you introduce the the 32 people that should actually be on the crime scene each doing an individual job because that's the only way that you're truly accurate right yeah. but but sometimes shortcuts are okay hmm. well they'd still you'd still get that bad review doesn't matter you still will that's the deal he is gonna be there no matter what so he doesn't matter right yeah. Said Alabama guy. But doesn't it stand out when you're watching a show or you're watching a movie or reading a book? If you know anything about forensics and criminal investigation, there's sometimes when I'm reading a book and I, it just destroys it for me when I get to the point where it, it's not realistic anymore. Yeah, look at you flipping the script on me now. But <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and it's what you are 100% right, and I'm right there with you. It's what I said at the beginning when you said, what's your biggest pet peeve? And I said, time of death. I, that is not accurate at all, and it drives me bananas. And it's because there's nothing close to being realistic about it, right, when you say yeah. he died within these 12 minutes. And you're absolutely right. When I see that, it gets really difficult for me to continue with that story. So accuracy is important as soon as, as you know. Right after I said, "Don't worry about accuracy." Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a degree of which you can handle. You were you know you suspend exactly. your disbelief for a certain amount, but then once it crosses that line, it's like hard to take it seriously. Exactly. Plus, you can be accurate and not just not give as much detail. Like you don't have to get as as detailed in your explanation, right? What I always tell the writers who are coming to me for a consult is, do your research. Find out as much as you can on how it, what is accurate, what, how is it done, what is the jargon, that sort of thing, and then make a decision. It can you be accurate and still further the story in the way you want to do it, or does being completely accurate affect your story? And then decide what's more important to you: accuracy or your story. And the answer should always be your story. And yeah. an example I'm going to give on that is. Uh, lab times. Uh, mm-hmm. Your story, especially if it's a crime thriller, thrillers can't sit around for six months waiting for <laughs> yeah. the lab results to come back. But that's accurate. You don't yeah. get your lab results back in two hours. You don't get a text on your phone with all the lab results when you just texted it in before you went to McDonald's, right? So, <laughs> um, but my question for the author is if you're trying to build tension, can you still have tension if you start the story up again with the character six months after that? And the answer is always no. they got to go, 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 and the stakes have to rise, rise, rise. And so they need the test results often right away. And so I'm not, that's what I say to them is then have the, them have a very special lab that gives them the, the results right away. Yeah. It's not accurate. But it works for the story. And so yeah. that's the decision you have to make. I don't ever propose making a shortcut for a shortcut's sake, but figure out what the accuracy is and then decide what the story needs, you know? Right. So use my my lab in my basement. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm already loving it. Yeah. I have six yeah. doctors down there on call. Um, now, what is your favorite part of investigating um so is it the crime scene uh blood spatter um autopsies like what is your favorite or i guess that's not even the right word but what is it that you 
um, really work out in in your mind? What is it that you'd like to work on? That is an interesting question. I've been very fortunate in my career that I have uh, had the opportunity to work so many different specialties. Uh, I, you know, I started off my career being uh, solely uh, a uh, specialist on crimes against children, and that that really led me down a path of uh, interview techniques and 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 interrogation techniques, which I, I love. I love to be in a room with a person and and go through that process because that is that is a, an arena that is different every single time. But then I also had a, had another job in which I was the uh, chief of criminal investigations for the federal medical examiner's office. And then I was able to participate in autopsies. And I found that fascinating, the puzzle of the human body and how you can figure out what happened to that body was just, I don't want to say it's fantastic, but it was. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, crime scenes falls right in my wheelhouse because um, uh, it's, I have a very anal personality. <laughs> and I love to have everything in its place and to mm-hmm. do things in a methodical manner. And so crime scenes are, are my jam. So it's really hard for me to answer that. I'm real. Like, I feel like I'm absolutely telling you how great I am at everything. And that's not the case, <laughs> but let's just go with that for now. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. And now we, well, speaking of that now, um, now for me being in, um, uh, crime radio and uh writing true crime books and 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 it now over my uh time i've talked with a lot of cops i've been to a lot Mm -hmm. of courthouses i've been to a lot of prisons um seeing people in not being in them (laughs) and um listen there's valid research either way (laughs) yeah well i find um for myself um that um that that I could not really be out as a gay man in any of those categories and be successful in any way. Um, I'm so I'm not sure. I'm fascinated how you could be in federal law enforcement for so long and being in, and successful and doing that type of job and uh, being out. I just I, I just wonder how what it's like for you uh, being in it. Right now, um, it's 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 not bad, but um, you know, full disclosure, I wasn't always. Uh, it was a very difficult. I was out to myself before I was out to friends, and I was out to friends before I was out to family, and I was out to family long before I was out to work. And a lot of the credit of me being completely out is to my husband uh, because he's the one who. Uh, showed me the importance and uh, on the same time showed me that it would be okay. So um, I take very little credit in being an out federal uh, investigator because um, I wasn't for the longest time of my career. Hmm. Yeah, because I found it to be still very, um, I don't know what the word would be, um, but I found it to be very. Um, it, it 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 would affect how open and how willing they were to give me evidence or give me 
feedback in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's, that's from my point of view of, of going out there um, and working in the business but not being in it, so to speak. Yeah, um, it's hard for me to uh, comment on that because it's not a, a this-is-the-way answer. Um, because you know in america we have different levels of law enforcement you have your local law enforcement which uh is the the towns and and cities and that's those are the police departments then you have your counties and those are the sheriff offices uh you have your state level law enforcement like the state police and state troopers and then you have your federal uh law enforcement which you know if you throw any three letters together i guarantee you they stand for some sort of uh federal uh law enforcement agency um and I've been federal, and on the federal level, and it, I can't say it's always been that way, but on the federal level, um, you are exposed to people from a lot more different backgrounds. On the police level, you're probably exposed to the folks that grew up in that village or town or city, and so it's probably a much smaller population and much easier to be close-minded if that's the area you tend to live in. Um, so it's it's hard for me to talk about that because I have been very fortunate in my career and in my coming out process, I didn't I didn't face a lot of backlash. I also did it late in which a lot of attitudes have started to change. Um, I, I you know I, I sadly say that I was not a pioneer on that front, you know but um, but that's where I am now, and I'm very grateful for it. And I think I think the world is changing, and I think the world is taking some steps backwards. But uh, but I think we are in a momentum of moving forward. Yeah, overall. Um, overall. One other aspect here. Now, I noticed you've had um, polygraph um, experience. Um, yeah. Now it's used. <laughs> that's another thing that's used a lot in in uh, these shows, and you know, and and in the media, news, and cases, and all that stuff. And some people uh, swear by it, and some people say, "Well, no." You know, and, and what's your take on polygraph? I was a huge skeptic uh, about polygraph uh, when I was first introduced to it. Um, you know, for all the reasons that everyone else is a skeptic because. Uh, online, you can be told how to beat it. It's not allowed in court. It's it's uh, so unreliable. Uh, and then I was selected um, in my current job to go to the polygraph school. And the deal with polygraph is there are different standards in the United States for polygraph, um, and most of the standards depend on the state. Uh, some states require you to be licensed having to go to a, uh, a, a certified polygraph school, um, have a background check, um, and several other things. And then some states just consider it a business license. And so if you get your business license, you can hang your shingle and suddenly you're a polygraph examiner. Um, so the validity of the examiners range greatly. But on the federal side of things, Every federal examiner goes to the federal school. It, it doesn't matter if you are FBI or CIA or DEA or military. If you are a federal examiner, you go to the school. And uh, 
there are very specific procedures you must follow. There are very specific procedures in giving the exams, in creating the questions, in in interacting with the person. And every result has to be quality controlled, which means looked at by fresh eyes. Uh, and everything is, the standards are quite high. And so having gone through the training, understanding how the polygraph works, why it works, um, its history on where it originally was told it could not be in court uh, and how that is changing. Uh, with that better understanding and knowing the science behind it, I'm a big, big, big proponent of it now. Uh, I think it is a great investigative technique. It is accepted in this country. Um, you know, when people say it's not allowed in court, they leave out the part that courts use polygraph. Um, uh, if you are a sexual offender and you are up for parole, one of your parole requirements may be to go get a polygraph examination every so whatever the period they decide you have to do it um, to prove that you haven't you know, gone back to your old ways. And the court takes those results uh, of the polygraph in those situations. And those are, that's, those are serious situations. So I'm using that sort of as a, to show you that a polygraph instrument can be extremely accurate and can be extremely reliable, but it gets a bad rap because not everybody has to follow the same rules. But if you're a federal polygraph examiner, you have to follow those rules or you, learn, you lose your certification. So it's more about the standard of, of the person giving the test. It's all about the person giving the test. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, you um, have uh, participation in high-profile cases and attacks. So like September 11, uh, the war in Iraq, space shuttle explosion, um, bombings in Bali. Um, what kind of um, involvement did you have in, in cases like that? Most of those cases happened while I was working for the medical examiner's office. And so uh, we were the federal-level medical examiner's office. So we dealt with any high-profile case, any military case, any case that was deemed as terrorism. And so when September 11 happened, we were the office that had to take care of the bodies. Now, uh, our office was in the D.C. area uh, at that time. Uh, I lived down there. And New York, you know, this was this was bigger than anything our office had ever dealt with, September 11th. And we were overwhelmed, and we didn't know quite where to go because there were three different sites. Um, and during that initial, initial time, New York called and asked if they could, the New York Medical Examiner's Office uh, called and asked if they could take care of the New York bodies. And we said, yes, please, please do that. And so New York did the vast majority of the New York victims, but we did all of Pennsylvania, all of the Pentagon, and then we took over from New York afterwards. What's it like um, for someone like you that's, you know, you're involved in it and you're involved in the science and um, uh, trying to find the truth behind these cases and, and different things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you deal with all the conspiracy that flies around 
um, about these different cases and, and uh, you know, uh, the Alex Jones type thing. And, and yeah. It, it's faked. It's not real. Those people didn't really die. And even now with all the COVID-19 and, and all the stuff about, oh, it's, it's not near what they're saying. They're making it up. It's a hoax and all this stuff. And it gets around. How do you deal with that yourself um, being more in the scientific and reality part of it? It's it's uh, frustrating, uh, is the easy way to put it. I I, ju- I don't deal with it very well, because these people are speaking out of ignorance. Yet they are speaking with an authority that they don't have, and it's mind-boggling to me. When every when I literally was on the grounds of the Pentagon the night of September 11th and the night of September 12th, and I saw the plane the wheels of the plane there on the Pentagon wall and I uh, lawn rather. And I saw where it bounced on the, uh, the plane bounced off of the lawn and then bounced back up into the building. Um, I saw the damage of that and could see what actually happened. And then to have, you know, it's, it's Joe from Alabama again, <laughs> who's, who's saying, Oh no, no, this was definitely a missile attack. I'm like, where do you get that from? You're not, you're nowhere near here. There's no evidence of that. Just some Yahoo somewhere down the line said something, and then somebody else took that and ran with it, and next thing you know, it's a conspiracy theory. You know, because we have to wear masks, suddenly COVID is a hoax. I don't get that. I don't get it. Um, science is a thing, and it's it's it just... Uh, you put I that have on a, a hard shirt. Time with it. I have a hard time with it. That's a Jeff Simon quote. Science is a thing. Yeah. Um. Well, I find it difficult because you know I'll, I'll you know we have people that even in the um, Columbine and stuff, and you have guests on that where you know families of members and stuff, and you go through that, and then you have people actually contacting you, going, "Well, that's fake. They're actors. It's never happened." I, I just you know I just want to call people stupid, but. Um, there, not everybody can be stupid. So how can we have so much of it? I, I, I'll I tell you, you can go crazy trying to either A, figure them out, or B, prove what they say is ridiculous and or wrong. You can absolutely drive yourself crazy. And what took me the longest time to learn is I don't have to prove that these people are crazy and or wrong because – they're crazy and wrong, and they prove it themselves. <laughs> and right. so, listen, I just recently had some people who wanted, because I go out and I talk about John Benet Ramsey, and I talk about September 11, and I talk about some cases that I've actually been a part of. I just recently had some people online that wanted to question that whether or not I was actually a federal investigator, and I'm obviously just making this stuff up. And I'm like, what do you have to gain by that? by by trying to call me out and oh by the way if you came to any of my actual classes you would see me pictures of me on the crime scene so you know there's that but then it it took me the longest time to realize i don't have to address these people and i don't have to i don't have to prove myself to these people because what they want is your reaction they don't care what their words are And so, listen, anybody who knows me knows I'm legit. And anybody who works with me knows that I am reliable. 
and anyone who has called me for a consult has thanked me for the expertise I've given them. And that should be enough for me. And that's what I need to teach myself. And I wish the rest of America could also teach themselves. Just be okay with you. These yahoos, I shouldn't use yahoos because yahoo is not necessarily a bad site. <laughs> these, <laughs> yeah. these dum-dums out there that want to make a name for themselves or create a ruckus or be part of cancel culture when they don't know anything that's going on, they're just hot air. And you know what happens to hot air? It dissipates. So yeah. there you go. And well, they wouldn't accept your proof anyway. No, you know, they, they wouldn't. There's a never-ending empty you know, hole there where they would just Listen, keep saying, well, you photoshopped yourself into that and whatever. The only thing that they probably would – well, actually, no. I was going to say the only thing they probably would accept is if I, if I photocopied my badge and credentials and sent it to them. But then they would, A, say that was fake, and now suddenly I have my badge and credentials out there. So, That's right. <laughs> you they're know, never it's just, satisfied. It's not worth it. It's, they're never satisfied. So, I mean, you can have scientists telling us day by day about this virus and why masks are important and why social distancing is important. And you're still going to have people who think that it's suddenly a Second Amendment thing and they have to go march on the Capitol without masks <laughs> but with guns because that's the way you fight a virus. So, listen, you don't have to prove that they are wrong or stupid there I, I don't know if i should be so pointed on this conversation but i that's am all right yeah i'm always that way and and uh, you know but everybody knows i work for the cia so <laughs> you are recognized you. you work for the culinary institute of america <laughs> oh, i don't know that yeah i cook and cook them real good <laughs> uh, this, this entire interview just talking about food now yeah <laughs> no that's it no it's uh, well no it's i find it interesting and it's like um I just don't know where it's all going to go. There's such a challenge for science right now, and uh, and uh, even uh, and and when you uh, have been on a case too, like it's popular, like it's like the Chandra Levy and that stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, if you take a, a logical scientific approach to something and kind of make statements um, directed from that. All of a sudden, you have people attacking you because they don't like what you're saying. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's more personal. So I, I again, how I don't know how you can deal with uh, not staying focused. You you learn to tune out. You learn to stay focused because all that all that other stuff that you just brought up that's a distraction. Uh, uh, let me let me say it this way: a lot of people ask me two pointed questions about my career when they when they learned everything that I've been involved in. How did you deal with investigating crimes against children? And how did you deal with being in an autopsy suite? And my answer to both of those is the same answer. When you are investigating crimes that affect kids, the kid, no matter what the outcome, is going to lose. They if if it's an abusive situation you are either going to, for the kid's own good, take the kid out of the house, which means you're taking that child out of the only security, as little as it may have been, only love, as may as it will have been, as little as it may have been, that they've ever known. You are taking that away from them. But you certainly can't leave them in there because yeah. there is an abusive situation. So the kid loses no matter what. And so when they say, how do you investigate child cases and you don't get emotional, I say, 
I can't be, I can't afford to be distracted by emotions because there's nobody there for that child. The child loses. I have to be the one who steps up and does the right thing for that child because no matter what happens, that child loses. And so I have an obligation and a responsibility. Same thing in autopsy suite. We are the last medical examination that this human will ever have. And it's our responsibility to honor them enough to find out what happened to them, to have the remains tell us what's going on. Because that's our obligation and that's our responsibility. And if I'm going to be emotional or if I'm going to be uh, find it gross or if I'm going to whatever else emotion you want to put in there, I'm not doing my my obligation to that person. Um, and so it's the same thing when you have all this noise out there, all this negativity and all these armchair experts, quote unquote, and all this other stuff. It, if someone wants to attack me, come attack me because you don't matter and your noise and my obligation and my responsibility is to find the evidence that will either prove or disprove this allegation. And I owe it to the victim or the person on trial to do the best job I can and collect the, the, the finest evidence that I can in the correct way. And all this other noise back there, keep talking because hot air dissipates, you know. Well, maybe you want to give out your address so people can come get you if they're going to attack you. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Okay, you have a pen? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll send every, everyone we can find. Um, well, um, what can I say? I, ha, one, one last thing. Does, has this changed the way you act toward people? Like, like uh, what I mean is when you see all this stuff, like you're in the how, how children have been mistreated and, and, and murder scenes and all this stuff for years, do you automatically, um, are you on guard is what I'm saying? Like, uh, do you always think, because mm. people do a lot of really nasty things, right? They do. Um, and so, and when you're dealing with it firsthand, I say that because my... Um, how we used to be with the um, RCMP like years and years ago and I found during that time he was always looking for the people the bad in people and, uh, and so it's hard for me to to, to kind of get that so um, does that has that happened to you yes um, I don't want to say I'm looking for the bad in people although I know why he said it that way I think when I'm done saying what I'm going to say, it'll probably be the same thing. But it's not that I look for the bad in people. It's always that I am aware. And yeah. what I mean yeah. by that is if we go out to a restaurant, which is not now, by the way, because we used to go out to restaurants, <laughs> I will, if I at all possible, I will position myself so that my back is against the wall. And that's not because yeah. I'm nervous about anyone that's behind me, yeah. but that's because I want to see the room. I want to see who's yeah. there. I want to see what's happening, and I want to see the exit points. I am comfortable having knowledge, and I am constantly observing, and I am constantly aware. And if there is a screaming child, I am aware, and I pay attention. Now, does that mean I get involved? No, because... You don't know what is going on. You don't know if that child is throwing a tantrum. You don't know if that child has a legitimate issue. Um, or you don't know if something is actually going on. 
so be aware and just ignorance is not an excuse for this line of work and so I am always analyzing the people I'm around and that probably doesn't make any of my friends feel comfortable now <laughs> <laughs> no no and that's what it, that's sort of what I mean and that's sort of I'm used to seeing that in someone else anytime we're going somewhere. The same thing, back to the wall in a restaurant. It's just, yeah. I'm used to it now from being on the other side of it and being with it, but I just wonder if that that affected you, that's all. If it, 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 it must bring you kind of some sort of, I mean, you've seen a lot of bad things and you've, that people do, and that's, it's got to it's got a wear on you, that's all. That's kind of what I mean. Believe it or not, though, in that, you also see a lot of good things. And That's right. So a lo- people are going to let you down, and on the flip side of that, people are going to surprise the heck out of you, you know, on a good way. And so um, so with all that is my answer, yes. I'm, I forgot the question. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all good. We're all happy here. It's That's one good. of the things that always interests me about true crime since I was a kid was how society reacts to it, how the good people rise up and try to help and, you know, the dedication of law enforcement people. So there's always, you know, there's a dark side of these stories, but there's also some positive stories in them too. Yeah. 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 When they go low, we go high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, um, now, uh, Jeff, let's talk about your website and books and stuff like that. So where do people get a hold of you? I uh, am pretty much the only Jeff Simon I know that's out there on the internet interwebs. Uh, Jeff with a G, Simon with a Y. So uh, my my Facebook and Twitter are the Jeff Simons. You'll know me by my perfect profile picture of the blue background white fingerprint. <laughs> um, uh, but my books can be found pretty much anywhere books are sold online or or out in the world, but uh, but I have a website, forensicsforfiction.com, or you can go to jeffsimon.com, and it takes you there as well. Uh, and again, the Forensic for Fiction, I have three out right now, um, and they are just uh, uh, topic-specific forensic books uh, to help uh, introduce uh, the author to uh, different uh, forensic uh, topics, techniques. Fantastic. We all have that on our website as well, so Thanks. listeners can just do one click and find you and um if they email me i'll give them your uh, home address and <laughs> come get you um, I, I warned you about him you did you did i, yeah, I should I have been aware be aware <laughs> well our guest has been jeff simon uh forensics for fiction and uh we appreciate you talking to us today gentlemen it's been a pleasure thank you for having me on thank you Find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.